and welcome to the September 2009 podcast of Ordinary Means. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm doing well. Well, Matt, uh, today we're going to talk some more, uh, continuing the conversation we had last month on cultural outreach. And as Matt and I talked about this, we thought it would be uh, good to not only recommend some books, but maybe talk through some of the issues raised uh, by some books that both uh, Matt and I are familiar with. We've got each got three books sitting here on the desk in front of us, and they're all fairly new, but they all uh, address some uh, timeless issues of culture, and they do it in some different ways, and we're going to talk uh, this month about what some of the different ways are that these books address and which of these books are going to be more accessible to some of you than uh, than others. Uh, all of them I think we would recommend. Uh, the first book that we have here, I'm going to list all three and then we're going to come back because we're going to spend most of the time on this first book. And the first book is a book by, you're going to have to say his name, Matt. Tullian Chivijan. Thank you. I, I noticed, Matt just pointed this out to me this morning, that on the fly leaf in the back of this book, there's actually a pronunciation key with Most people name. would call that a dust jacket, Sean. Most people call that a dust what jacket. What did I, a fly leaf? Isn't it called a fly yes. leaf? Mm-hmm. Yes, the fly leaf of the dust jacket. It's to keep, <laughs> it's to keep the flies off your book. Nice. So, Chivijan. Um, Good. And... Uh, his book, Unfashionable, which is uh, preeminently accessible. Uh, you can, your kids can read this, and I think that they would, would gain tremendously from it. Matt, you were just saying that this is a book that you're considering using for um, your discipleship track. Yeah, we have an intentional discipleship track that we do in our church over about um, two years, and we use a series of books just so that people who can't make it we do a lecture style in our Sunday school classes with some Q&A, and then we dialogue the chapters of the book um, in our community groups. And that way we kind of put more flesh on things, if you will, in our community groups and relate together. So we have an intentional disciple trap, discipleship track that we've put together, and we're considering using this as sort of the capstone, as sort of the orientation that your Christian life should take. So that's the that's the first book, and we're going to spend a good deal of time. We'll go into that in just a minute. Just a couple other books. Uh, maybe what we could do, Matt, is just right up front here, uh, do a little bit of review of these books, talk about where they're different, uh, where they're helpful, and uh, and then we'll go back into uh, into Tullian's book. Sure. Uh, the f- the, go yeah, ahead. go ahead. Well, I'll say that the, the the one book that would probably be a little bit more oriented towards uh, definitely pastors, um, more educated, theologically educated lay people, elders, um, would be D.A. Carson's Christ and Culture Revisited. And um, excellent book, goes back and looks through, if you remember with Christ and Culture, uh, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr goes through and looks at those and um, offers some... Uh, helpful analysis and critique of them, and then tries to engage um, and move the conversation further along. I think very helpfully. It's a more dense read. Um, You're not going to read it quickly. You're not going to read it through in one day. Um, It's just not that kind of book. Um, But it is very, very helpful. Uh, I think especially in our circles, um, Sean and I are both ministers in the PCA, 
and there's good debate within our own denomination and within the Reformed communion, at least in America, and I would say probably worldwide, especially where we've come and influenced people, between, say, um, a culture of transformationalist perspective like uh, Tim Keller would bring um, and something more like what um, some of the guys at Westminster Seminary or, or Daryl Hart uh, at Reformed in Orlando would bring in terms of a, a high king two kingdoms perspective. And I found that Carson's uh, analysis of uh, those sort of paradigms, particularly in the latter chapters, was very, very helpful um, for saying, you know, do we need to have this big of a disagreement? Um, isn't this sort of a way that we can navigate between these and use the benefits of the both of them? Um, and even, I think, I think helpfully, um, as I've dialogued this with some people, in fact, I've got a conversation slated for tomorrow with a, a smart guy that I s- spend time talking to things because he's smarter than I am. Um, you know, just it's always kind of wise through. to have those people in our lives. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is a guy that um, came to Christ when we lived in San Diego, actually, when Sean and I were living together. And now he's way beyond me. He's going towards getting a Ph.D. in philosophy, and he's going to be... Uh, Lord willing, very, very mightily used by the Lord in many, you know, many people's lives. Well, Smart you know, guy. We, can, we can say his name online. Oh, Paul Minata. You should read everything. He blogs at Triablog and is a real sharp and, and helpful guy in many of these things. But um, So Paul and I are going to talk about Carson tomorrow because I've got some kind of things I want to bounce off of him because he thinks about this stuff more, more than I do. But anyways, uh, Carson, very eminently helpful, and in particular those latter chapters, just trying to think through, do we need to be in the midst of a war about this? Or can we say the church as church, yes, does that. But the church has this discipleship role in the lives of people. And what does the church disciple its people as individuals um, to go and do? How does it, how does it help its people um, view culture? to view all of life um, does as I preached a few weeks ago and you can uh, if you want to get more thoughts on this than I can do in a podcast I preached on the cultural mandate a few weeks ago in our congregation and um, you know is Genesis 128 one of the things in the great commission Jesus had in mind to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you my contention of course is that yes Genesis 128 was a command of Jesus the creator um, and so culture is not something that the church can sort of stand away from and say, whoa, we're, we're, um, we're the city of God. We're, we're um, you know, that's, that's culture over there. We're the cult. We're not involved with that at all, as Sean and I both learned from, from Klein. Um, but what is the church envision as its role in the discipleship of people? Even if the church as church is not over there doing culture, what is it? Uh, teaching its people to do with culture. Okay. And Carson will help you think about that a lot more carefully and helpfully, in my mind. Yes, we need to... Uh, we need people thoughtfully working through uh, what it means to be a Christian in a particular culture. And that's mm-hmm. going to... We're talking about principles that need to apply uh, universally because so often we make uh, cultural pronouncements because we live in an American culture and we say, well, church has to be this way. And if a church isn't doing things this way, then you know they're not doing them properly. Well, 
so often I find that when when someone is arguing that way, uh, if if it's not if it's not a clear scriptural principle that they're arguing from, that they're arguing from American culture, and hmm. it's something that uh, what I love to say to people is, okay, I understand what you're saying to me. Here's what you're saying to me. Now tell me, would this work in China? Would you, Great could question. You, could you go to China and tell all the Chinese Christians that they must apply this principle? And so right. um, the question of culture is not simply one of, you know, can I, can I watch Desperate Housewives or not? You know, the, the question of culture is, who am I in this place where God has set me? And I think one of the um, – well, I think there are two principles – that we need to keep in mind, and I think that all of the errors that we will hit in terms of understanding culture are, are a violation of one of these two principles. I think this is probably a good place. We'll come back to the books in a second. Uh, the first principle is this. We need to remember that we are part of a culture. Mm-hmm. You can't be cultureless. Uh, it's impossible. Yeah, culture is not a... In fact, a, it's unfaithful to be cultureless. Yeah, you live somewhere. You do certain things. You have uh, traditions. Uh, you speak a certain way. You um, you work in a certain place. You abide by the social codes of a certain place. You uh, engage in the clothing styles of the place in which you live. Uh, you live you live in a culturally appropriate form of housing for where you are in the United States. You keep certain habits of day and of family and of relationships that are all culturally bound up. The, the text the text that comes to my mind is First Corinthians seven, where Paul says, "You know, were you called uncircumcised? Were you mm-hmm. called as a slave? Don't seek to change. You you be a part of where God puts you." But you do it in a redemptive way, hmm. and you do it That's as, really good. in a redemptive way as a redeemed person. So your relationship, mm-hmm. if you're a slave, if you, you know, that there are slaves today per se in America, but there are if you're a uh, an employee, and as a non-believer, you acted a certain way, you behaved a certain way in that workplace. But now as a believer, you are going to interact differently with your employer. And that's, that's exactly what Paul is saying. He says, don't, don't try to get out of what you're in. Stay where you are. God's put you there. But, mm-hmm. but bring to it the same type of, of transforming that's going on in your heart. Uh, that's that's going to come out as you live within that culture. Now, that's the first principle. We are part of a culture. The second mm-hmm. principle is that we are part of a greater culture, and that is the culture of heaven. And this is that's the transforming. And so the, the errors tend to be either, I'm only going to be part of the culture of heaven, mm-hmm. or I'm going to be entirely in the culture of the world. You know, right. t- taking uh, Paul's words, all things to all people, to a, to a wrong extreme. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is for some of you who've read before. This is Augustine's The Sun's Making the Distinction Between the City of God and the City of Man. And so, you there, Sean? Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. here. Sorry, I was drinking while you were talking. Uh, sorry, I was too short. <laughs> keep talking so I can swallow. No, no um, but those, so that we need to keep those two principles in mind. We are part mm-hmm. of a culture. And right. so, as Christians, as disciples, we're going to need to ask 
the question, how, how do we, um, how do we live as part of this culture? How do I, mm-hmm. as a Christian, uh, behave, operate? I was just, uh, engaged in a, um, little bit of a conversation. I don't know if you've seen this yet, Matt. I, I shot you an email, but there's a, mm-hmm. uh, great conversation going on on our blog right now about, uh, baptism. Mm-hmm. In the comment section, and it's it's a the the issue in my mind that is raised by the question. We'll address this on a future podcast. But the question that came to me was how how about these household baptisms in the New Testament? We don't see them today. We don't see a mm-hmm. man becoming a Christian and all of his adult children in the household being baptized. And the the uh, the question was, does that mean is that an argument against pedo baptism? Is that an argument against household baptism? And uh, my argument was simply this: I think what that raises is an issue of authority. Mm-hmm. Is that in there was a, a time in the church age in the Book of Acts where if the head of a household did something. His word was law, and if you were to remain in that household, you took his God to be your God. And somebody might come back and they might say, so you're trying to tell me I have to believe in Jesus Christ because somebody told me to? And I say, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, God's already told it to you if you haven't understood it by now. You see, that's the point of authority. And we live in a culture, here's that word, that is completely anti-authoritarian. Right. And so we do not, we cannot handle this idea of being told what to do, or even told this is what you're supposed to do. And because of that, um, we do whatever we want, and it feels good. And that feels like freedom to us. And that is completely the wrong way to live within a culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's great points. Great so, points. so getting getting back to these books, yeah, Carson. I just I'm, I want to put in a plug for Carson because I have never I have not yet read something by Carson that I disliked. Mm-hmm. He you writes, might disagree with his exegesis oh, of First Corinthians certainly. twelve and his commentary, but you can at least respect it. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, well, he's he's, he's not a great scholar. He's one um, of our good I, does he call himself blatantly reformed? I, he's he's evangelical. Oh, I, oh, yeah, Certainly, for sure. So he's a Reformed Baptist, yeah. Um, but but he is just a marvelous author. He, I think, he brings scholarship. He is a scholar, but I think he brings that scholarship down to a level that is accessible. Uh, this particular book, Christ and Culture Revisited, um, as Matt was saying, it's a little heady. Uh, part of that is it's it's a response to a book that was heady, Richard Niebuhr's right. Christ and Culture. So um, he's he's simply responding in a in the in the style appropriate to the book he's responding to. He his writing uh, crosses all sorts of genres and topics, everything from uh, commentaries to books on uh, what it means to be called to the ministry. He he in many ways is a pastor's pastor, mm-hmm. and so I would highly recommend anything he writes. Uh, this is probably not the first book you want to get by Carson. 
but if that culture, book, but there there are yeah. other ones. His, um, it's on my list to buy, but um, I have heard from from people that I trust that his meditation um, on God and evil and suffering, uh, how long, O oh Lord, is uh, supposedly the best in uh, modern writings on the topic. Um, he has devotional over the whole Bible that um, links together redemptive history. Very, very useful author. Very, very much so. Uh, so that's that's that book, Christ and Culture Revisited. The other book uh, we have sitting here besides uh, Tolian's book is a book by Andy Crouch called Culture Making. And this is a book that runs along the themes. One of, A prominent theme today is, is the theme of um, reclaiming uh, poetry, artistry, creativity, uh, seeing all these things from a Christian worldview. Uh, this is a book, uh, Matt, you can help me a little bit with this. You've read a little farther than I have, but this is a book that's going to provide sort of a, a theological framework for that kind of thinking. Yeah, I think that what's useful about Crouch's book, and and I found it very, very useful, it's much more of a lay-level book. I can hand it to anybody in my congregation, and I'd like to, um, is it's as much a primer on what culture is is and what it encompasses um it's as ken myers puts it it's it's givenness the givenness of creation and and our calling um to be cultural people not necessarily high culture symphonies all the different kind of stuff but um that's fine but just the fact that as sean put it earlier it's, it's inevitable you're doing it whether you know it or not and most of us are doing it poorly um and that I think is, um, in one sense, it's a very eye-opening book because it it gave me a. I hadn't done a lot of thinking about culture and the nature of cultures, anything like that, and it was very, very helpful. There's like a thousand things I could share about it, but I'll just highly recommend the book to you to read. Um, one of the things that I think was good is that it it induced in me um, some some modesty and some humility about the way that cultural advance takes place. Uh, much like um, in other realms, and that's not the theme of this podcast, but I do a fair amount of reading and thinking and reflecting on um, economics and economic development. And the, the main thing that I've taken away over the last several years of studying economic development is that it happens family by family. You can't throw money at a poor African country and expect it to develop economically. It just doesn't work that way. It's the transformation of the worldview of an individual family and then that multiplying from family to family to family. And culture is much the same way. It's the multiplication of transformed people who live transformed lives within their family, who live transformed lives when they go to work, as Sean put it earlier, as they live in transformed communities and other people join that community. The way that um, Tim Keller, I think, helpfully illustrates this is he talks about the fact that what God's called us to in a world, um, the two kingdoms guys, I think, very helpfully help. They emphasize we're aliens and strangers. We're like the the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. We're in exile, um, and we are. Um, we might have differing uh, conceptions of um, you know what the exile is going to look like, but it's very clear scripturally the way that you're supposed to live in exile. Um, Jeremiah, uh, you know, gives you a good idea of what you're supposed to do, and those are cultural things. Jeremiah twenty nine. Those are cultural things. The idea that we, have, that we have more in common with Abraham as Christians than we do with Moses. Right. 
Yep, absolutely. Or with the with the Babylonian exile, I think that that uh, I I've been persuaded by by Keller's exegesis of of the, the the church in Babylonia, you know, where God says, you know, build families, don't reduce, increase, um, you know, and and settle down, become a part of the city, look to the welfare of the city. Is that that's that's a call again to living d- a different kind of lives um, within the midst of uh, a a pagan culture around you. Um, Keller calls that uh, living it, it, he calls it alt.city.org it's, it's the alternate city of God within the city of man not of the world but in it um, in it close enough that people can see us because we, we interact with them we live as Tolling encourages us unfashionable lives among them well, let's, let's talk about that why the title um, unfashionable uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that's that's a good question to start with with any book is why why this title for this book? And I've been this is sort of the the uh, breakout book for um, uh, for telling to see. I still can't say his name. Chavijan. Did I do it right? Chavijan. Okay, you did it. Um, this is sort of his his breakout book. He just recently moved from the church he was pastoring to to replace D. James Kennedy. Uh, now it struck me how very unlike D. James Kennedy, Tullian is. Yeah. Um, but he is a man who is is uh, appears to me to be uh, infinitely um, accessible. In mm-hmm. when you read this, I was telling Matt earlier, he reminds me. Um, I, sort of the the definition I would give to his writing style is a reformed Chuck Swindoll. So mm-hmm. if you know, if you're familiar with Chuck Swindoll, you enjoy his writing. Chuck Swindoll is a marvelous storyteller. He uses uh, a prolific use of illustration. Uh, that's what you're going to get in a book like this. Um, but all of that bringing you back to a very, very reformed uh, worldview. Very yep. gospel-centered worldview. And so it's it's striking he could have gone a lot of directions with the book that came out when he switched ministries mm-hmm. um because prior to his move to um uh D James Kennedy's former church he is uh no I don't think anybody really knew who he was uh his relationship to uh Billy Graham uh, he's a nephew grandson grandson thank you um was I think was known, but he wasn't somebody that people outside of uh, Florida and the church that he was pastoring necessarily knew about. But now he's sort of been brought into the spotlight. What book do you write as you bring into the spotlight? Well, he's writing a book uh, about being unfashionable, mm-hmm. about essentially saying, and, and you, you wonder as you read this, is he also preaching to himself here? saying, as I move into the spotlight, am I reminding myself that it's not about the spotlight? That mm. that's not where I find my um, acceptance, that's not where I find my affirmation, my b- sense of belonging, is not that I'm pastor of this big-name church. Right, um, right. I need to find it in Christ, and when we find our... Uh, w- when we find ourselves our personhood in Christ, that is going to look unfashionable to the world. Yeah, because I think when you, most of us are uh, fashionable if we just just 
pick the word. The concept is that you're trying to fit in with somebody. Yeah, we, we all want to fit in. We all want to fit in. And I think that, that one of the things over time, even before I read this book, and I, um, Sean and I have made the decision for probably different reasons. I don't know. We haven't really talked about it. To homeschool our families. And one of the things that I find um, that is far easier in homeschooling our kids is to teach them this very lesson of being unfashionable. That taking them out of the environment where the, the public school environment quite self-consciously um, – and I think probably the Christian school environment it may well have the same tendency. It, it quite self-consciously wants to produce, in the words of my one friend who was stuck in a cult, um, little neat rows of yellow pencils. Um, it, it wants nice – it might have several different packages. Some might be purple pencils. Some might be white pencils. Some might be yellow pencils. But it wants to create groupings and domesticate them. That's one of the great goals of public school education is to domesticate people. This is the worldview reason behind why homeschooling is uh, not allowed in Germany or Brazil. It's a danger to reigning governments to raise unfashionable children. Now, many would say, Matt, that uh, if you're homeschooling your kids, your kids probably are unfashionable because they're wearing hand-me-downs and (laughs) not the latest clothing. And I I just want to emphasize, you know, we're not – when we say unfashionable, when Tullian says unfashionable, he's not talking about the clothes we wear. No. He's talking talking about about the style of life. The style of life, exactly. Um, And I think prominently for us – you know, does the style of life include people and relationships? Do do my kids catch from my family that we're missionaries? And, and this is what really grabbed me about Tullian's book and why we're seriously considering using it in our discipleship track in our church is that he, in a very winsome and I think helpful way, pushes the reader to think about their life in that way, uh, which to me um, is really, really useful for us regaining in America uh, the sense of the reason that the church exists, the reason that people are brought to Christ, uh, the reason that today dawned, which is that God is uh, working in the world to bring people to himself. Uh, And the more that my life is lived in step with that, um, the closer I am to living in reality. Matt, let's talk for a second. You mentioned just uh, offhand just now this idea of a missionary mindset or, or having a missionary mm-hmm. spirit. And this goes right back to what we were talking about when we mentioned those two principles earlier that we're part of our culture and yet we stand uh, above our culture. And I, as I told you earlier, Matt, I, I don't know that I like that phrase, standing above the culture, uh, right. because it, it sounds proud. It sounds almost like one of the errors that the church makes in trying to be distinct. Uh, you mentioned homeschooling a minute ago. Um, one of the, all of the problems that exist in public schools also exist just in different forms in homeschools. Um, I, I'm, saying yeah. this, I'm saying this as a homeschooler, but right. you can have children who, in being homeschooled, do the homeschool fashion. Mm-hmm. 
they do things the way homeschoolers do, or 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 more tighter the way homeschoolers in your church homeschool. Right. Uh, you know, I, I've I've noticed I have one child that is particularly um, uh, given to peer pressure. And mm-hmm. so if her friends want to do something, she wants to do that too. And I'm constantly, I appreciated what Tullian said in the book. He talks a number of times about how he raises his kids. And mm-hmm. he tells one story in the book about uh, his sons really wanting to play football, but they're just not physically there yet where they can mm-hmm. play football. And he had to take his son aside and say, son, you know, I know you're not going to understand this, but you're looking for affirmation through football rather than looking to Christ. And so mm-hmm. with my homeschool daughter, I have to say the same thing that I would say to her if she was a public school daughter. And that mm-hmm. is just because your friends who happen to be homeschooled do it this way, that doesn't mean that's the way we have to do it. We have to look to Christ first. And so mm-hmm. it's the same issues. And I think that's part of the cultural error is that we think that because we pulled our kids out of public school and we're homeschooling them, that we're safe. And we're not because the church, particularly in America, has already bought into the world. All we're doing mm. is bringing the problems home. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's an, until we solve that problem, that the big cultural problem, bringing your kids home and having public school at home is not going to fix anything. Right. Because it, unless it's it's done because you want to produce a completely different product. Yes. Absolutely. Um, then you're really just sort of duplicating at home what could be done by somebody else and perhaps even better. Yeah. We're trying to produce a product that's that's different. Than what the world can produce, and and the product, uh, and using product, frankly, <laughs> yeah, using the term you use, we're we're trying to raise kids who have a missionary spirit, right? And let's talk about that a little bit because I like that term, a missionary spirit. If you think of a missionary who goes into uh, a foreign country, the first thing they're going to experience is culture shock, and that's something Tullian uses that as a uh, as an analogy in his book. Um, that we should, he says, we should always be experiencing culture shock. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning, we should always be looking at the way the world is doing things and saying, "Ooh, ooh, wow, that's different." I need to, yeah. I need to analyze that. Okay, so that's his right. use of the analogy. When Matt and I talk about a missionary spirit or, or raising kids to have a missionary spirit, uh, we're thinking about how the missionary then goes into the culture, and there's two directions that they can go. They can either either be absorbed into the culture to the point where they look exactly like it, mm-hmm. or they can remain use use the culture shock to their advantage, because now they're no longer are they an American. They're not. Let's say they're going into China. No longer are they. Chi- they're not definitely not Chinese, um, but they're but all they're they're comfortable. All the comfortable parts of their culture have sort of been pulled out from under uh, under them, and so now here they are sitting on this precipice between uh, you know I want to go back to the comfort of American culture, I want to um, reach these people uh, here in China. Well, sitting on that precipice is a wonderful place because there you can see more clearly. You're up, you're up, you know, on a precipice. You're up higher. 
and you're looking down and you can see the cultures. And what we're saying by a missionary spirit is that you're always analyzing and saying, is this Christian? Is this uh, Christ-revering? the way that this is being done? Or is this a way that Christ wants to reach into this culture and transform this aspect of how they live? So I'll give you an example. Um, there are cultures around the world. Uh, Ireland is one example where uh, alcoholism, drunkenness, better term than alcoholism, drunkenness, is, is incredibly prevalent. You go into a culture like that. Do you... As a good, reformed Christian, Matt, what does PCA stand for? Uh, pipes, cigar, and alcohol. Yeah, exactly. So as a good, reformed Christian, do you go into Ireland and you say, wow, I'm a, I'm a reformed Christian, so I'm going to drink with all of them? Or is that a culture where you say, hold on a second, if we're going to make an impact here, we need to, to bring them... Uh, we don't want to bring them to be teetotalers. We want to bring them to be able to, in their freedom in Christ, drink. But we don't want to go into that culture and just immediately become a part of that culture. We'll have absolutely no effect. Maybe that's a culture where you go in and you say, you know what, I'm not going to drink for a while so that people notice me. I'll go, you know, I'll go to the pubs. I'll participate in the culture. But I'm not going to drink immediately so they notice me and I can begin to talk about the dangers of drunkenness. And then once they know that I don't drink to drunkenness, then I can begin to drink. I, I don't know what that's going to look like. But I'm, I'm trying to give an illustration here of a missionary spirit is going to, of necessity, look different. It, it is. And I think that it um, when we look at um, Paul when he comes to Athens, I'm just beginning this text, uh, this coming up Sunday, and Paul's provoked by their idols. There's a lot to that statement. I'm taking a whole sermon on one verse, which is tough when you got a, cha- a book that's 28 chapters long, because people get tired after a while of, you know, you're preaching through a book slowly. But I'm taking one, just that one verse, Acts 17, 16 this week. He was provoked by their idols. Hmm. And I think that's that stance in which the, the missionary lives. Um, quite self-conscious from the precipice, of his own culture and its idols, even his, his Christian subculture, but also aware and phased, not unfazed, but phased, provoked. Uh, in part, uh, you know, Bible scholars uh, um, differ as to that word provoked in Acts 17, 16, what they think it means. Um, BDAG, uh, which is a new name for Baghdad, um, it says that it's a mixture of anger, mourning, which is which is a Greek grief. dictionary. It's Just Greek so, dictionary. Yeah, but mourning, um, grief, anger, indignation, uh, a yearning to convert. I think that's the missionary spirit that we look around with enough reflex uh, with enough reflection to know our idols so we don't come in a stance of pride the gospels critiqued our own idols our personal functional idols where we're trying to gain significance perhaps by being fashionable even and then 
it allows us with the clarity that we have of our own idols and their emptiness that Jeremiah 2 sense that my people have, have sinned in two ways they've left me and they've gone after broken cisterns thinking they can find the water of life all by themselves and um, we can look at a culture and we can say I know why you get drunk I know what that feels like I know what it looks like to try and escape to an idol that you think can bring you happiness but leaves you empty. Yeah. That's that's the missionary spirit that we raise kids and we raise up congregants who have that kind of sensitivity, that kind of sense of being able to look at a billboard and go, oh my, whoever thinks they could get satisfaction by that. Hmm. And it's learning how to read culture that way. Um, and, and and to love people that much, to get close enough to them to say, you know, it looks like to me you've centered your life on that. And then to bring Dr. Phil on the scene and say, how's that working for you? Um, because we know people are made for God and it can't be working out very well for them. Not in their heart of hearts. Yeah. That's the missionary spirit. You made me think of a quote. Uh, fortunately, I had it here at hand. Um, this is by Thomas Goodwin, and he hmm. says this. He says, Work in your hearts a hatred of sin. If hmm. a man had killed your friend or father or mother, how would you hate him? You would not endure the sight of him, but follow the law upon him. When thou art tempted to sin and are very thirsty after the pleasure of it, say of that opportunity to enjoy it, it is the price of Christ's blood, and pour it out upon the ground. Shall I live upon that which was Christ's death? Shall I please myself in that which was his pain? Shall I be so dishonest, so unkind, as to enjoy the pleasure for which Christ endured the smart. Hmm. That's a good quote. I love that quote, because that is what we're missing, Hmm. is we don't hate sin anymore. I mean, think think about it. One of the great questions, uh, Tullian begins his book with a series of questions, just sort of hitting home. You Mm -hmm. know, things like, has it been a long time since you disagreed with Oprah? You know, things that say, are you part of your culture or are you standing, again, for lack of a better term, are you standing above your culture even while you're in it? Uh, Tullian uses the term, uh, the phrase, he says, we are to be living against the world for the world. Yeah. Ours is a subversive work, if you will, knowing that culture is part of the reality that God's made. But that it's also – so in one sense, it, by common grace, uh, there are many bright spots to find in every culture because people are made in the image of God and they have this impulse to be cultural. But on the other hand, um, the gospel also comes in and critiques every culture, including our own, for its excesses, for its sins, for its distortions. Because as, Ken, as I read Ken Myers this morning, the common curse is as big as common grace. I don't mean to be fundamentalistic or oversimplifying, but it's good for us to ask the question, when I watch 
the same movies, or I read the same books, or I listen to the same music that the world listens to, do I ever have those moments of pause? Am I am I still uh, struck? What was the term you used just a moment ago, Matt? Um, phased. Phased. Am I phased at all by the language? Mm-hmm. I'm. I am increasingly noticing a rise in foul language among Christians, mm-hmm. where Christians have no problem saying certain words that. Ten years ago, were not uh, no Christian, no self-respecting Christian would say that word. I'm not trying to be fundamentalistic here. I'm trying to give you a tool to look at your life and say, "Am I phased or have I bought into the culture?" You know, mm-hmm. another one: sex scenes in movies. Do you even notice anymore? Yeah, crazy. Um, you know, this is something. This is this is the way Tullian. This is page one sixty three. This is how he defines worldliness. He says, it is a sleepiness of the soul in which the status, pleasures, comforts, and cares of the world appear solid, stunning, and affecting, while the truths of Scripture become abstractions, unable to grip the heart or to guide our everyday activities. Mm. Now, I take away from that, I say, you just sat through a sermon on Sunday. Are you still applying that 30, 40, 50 minutes worth of solid material on the Word of God? Are you taking that home to your heart and to your family and to your life? Or did you walk away from church going, I have no idea how to use that? Well, Mm. oh, look, game's on. Such, you know, the world, when the world starts to look like it can help you more than the Scripture can... That is a strong sign that you have been swallowed up in a culture that is not Christian. Good way to put it. Good way to put it. There's um, maybe I'll throw one more thing on here. Um, one of the most helpful things I think correlating um, Tully and, and, and Andy Crouch's book Culture Making is Crouch makes some really helpful distinctions in the beginning between different ways that we can view culture. He calls them gestures and postures. And that, that um, you know, there's a difference between a gesture and a posture in that a gesture is in the moment. You might say as a gesture, um, I'm going to see that movie or I'm not going to see that movie. You could say as a posture, I'm never going to see a movie or I'm going to see every single movie that comes out that beats the box office for a weekend. I'll go to the box office, the predicted box office winner every weekend. And now it's become a posture. And he says that, that one of the things that I appreciated very much about Crouch's book is he said, we have to be very careful of our postures and make sure that they're, they're faithful mm-hmm. to God and to, to his word and that we're thoughtful and not lazy um, I think that that's one of the things um, that we're working towards in our church and why Tullian's book was helpful to us is we want to have people to have a posture towards their engagement in the world that's that's the, a missionary posture. Um, that they might do the same things that they've always done, but they're doing them for different reasons. Um, and 
and that to me is is uh, a good part of what God's called us to be in terms of living unfashionably. That our kids might play soccer, um, but the reason we're there to play soccer is yeah to get some exercise and get some skills, sure. Um, but we're there as a missionary, and what's a missionary mom look like at a soccer field? What's a missionary dad look like at a soccer field? Um, you know, and that's those are those are the kinds of questions that we're as a congregation trying to wrestle through. And really, they they need to be wrestled through. They're not going to be easy. Mm-mm. You're going to find people coming to different answers. Uh, just like you know, we mentioned homeschooling. We used that as an illustration earlier. Uh, in our church, there are kids that go to public school. There are children that are homeschooled. There are children in Christian schools, and. Each of those families, as a pastor, I sit down with each of those families and I ask them, why have you made the decision you've made to do this form of education or that form of education? Do you understand the role that that's going to play in their life? Are you able as a parent, if your child is in this form of education, are you going to be able to step in and do the deprogramming that you need to do or else to step in and uh, affirm certain things? Uh, are you going to be able to do that? And every family is going to come to different conclusions about how they are to live, what exactly Christ is calling them to be in their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, one one thing, I think, Matt, you and I have seen this in a couple of the places that we've lived, is if you live in a community that is strongly based around its schools— its education system. Mm-hmm. You know, there are communities where the school system, you could give or take them. But if right. you're in a community that is strongly based around its schools, uh, you need to be in, being in that community is going to have uh, an effect on how you choose to educate your kids. Now, mm-hmm. it, it may be that it's a conservative community with some uh, some religious undergirding, and you're comfortable sending your child to the public school where you are also engaged with the public school and the teachers and the principals. I have one mom, bless her soul, in my church. She went to uh, the local elementary school, a public school, and she sat down with the principal, and she just started laying out her Reformed convictions. And she said, this is, you know, this is what I'm looking for. And lo and behold, her son got the Christian teacher. Hmm. Um, so that's that's the sort of thing you may live in a community where the types of things being taught in the schools, maybe even in the Christian schools, you're not comfortable with that. So you choose to homeschool. Well, if you choose to do that, how are you still going to interact with that community? Are you mm-hmm. withdrawing so much that you have no light, that your light has now been put under a bushel? So these are these are hard questions. They're not easily answered. And I think there's a lot of people who want easy answers. I think there's a lot of us who buy in to some of the organizations out there who say if you just do this one thing, your kids will grow up fine. And it's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Because if you homeschool your kids, you know, they might not come to faith. Right. And if you send your kids to public school, they might come to faith. And it, it, it's, it's a tricky question that's going to depend really on, 
a lot of different factors, on a lot of prayer, on a lot of looking at the principles in Scripture and developing a godly, as you just said, as, as uh, Crouch, the term Crouch uses, uh, a godly posture. Mm-hmm. Towards culture, towards people, yep. towards life. Yep. You know, we kind of have to look at the end. What are the kind of disciples we want to make? Mm-hmm. Whether it's our kids or our congregations. What's the shape of that person? What's the posture of their life? What does their life look like? And then we have to think carefully about how it is, whether in a home or in a church, uh, that we would see that kind of discipleship take place. Yeah. Well, you know, let's use that as our uh, as our blog question this month. Uh, let's make it the question: How, uh, where have you had to make a difficult uh, decision with regard to culture, uh, particularly with regard to reaching your culture? Mm. Uh, that relationship between being in the world but not being of the world, or as uh, Tullian says, being against the world while you're still for the world. How how have you, uh, as individuals, how has your church attempted to address these issues? Love to hear about it on the blog. Love for you to put your questions up there. We'll definitely have another Q&A podcast coming here in the future. Uh, and we will uh, may very well likely continue this conversation on culture. Uh, but we thank you for listening, and uh, thank you for uh, your support and the comments that you're already leaving. We're, we're getting emails and some great comments. Thank you guys for being part of our studio audience. Oh, wait, we're not in a studio, part of our Internet audience. Um, we appreciate it, and we hope this has been helpful to you to begin uh, to think about some of these issues Uh, so that you might uh, glorify God as you earnestly seek Him through His ordinary means. 